Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Neil and Jordan podcast, the podcast where two comedians talk like experts on subjects they are not experts on. We're going to be doing a podcast today on social media. It is a subscriber topic from uh, Ed, and it is uh, an exploration of social media. What is its uh, effect? How do we mitigate mitigate against uh, the uh, numerous adverse effects of social media and what do we personally think of it but before we get into that uh, I have a couple of announcements we officially have a sponsor of this podcast since you wow. guys have been so generous in um, purchasing that uh, beautiful crush organic CBD oil where is it here it is if you're if you're watching on YouTube have a look at that uh, they have been gracious enough to officially sponsor the podcast. So uh, I'd love to welcome the newest sponsor of this podcast, Crush Organic CBD Oil. Uh, Crush are out here as a major sponsor of the show. In addition to their world-class signature collection that includes day, night, recovery, and platinum CBD oils, Crush have just released their full-strength diamond oil with the maximum amount of certified high-grade CBD. So you got to get that one. It's beautiful. I've tried it. Crush have also reformulated their signature pet blend to include the perfect amount of CBD combined with essential vitamins and minerals to keep your furry little loved ones calm and happy all day long. I haven't actually tried the pet one on my cat yet, but I'm sure she'll like it. Uh, I just got a robot vacuum cleaner and she seems pretty anxious. Uh, Crush are still raising the bar with bath bombs, gummies, pain creams, and more. And the guys are pleased to announce worldwide shipping on all products with an ironclad money-back guarantee. So crushorganics.com. Use the code NEIL for 40% off. Jordan, how are you doing, my man? I'm good. I am good. I'm back in the cityscape after being around trees for a while. I think that that's the best blend of lifestyle that you can possibly have three days uh in national park three days in blade runner and then take your pick the other day well you're in the shire which for anyone who's uh not in sydney that's a pretty leafy green area i wouldn't call that blade runner no 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 no. my my office is blade runner my office is like I think the closest English word would be in Alexandria. Like it's like so Chinese. And that place is just like the opening scene where he's just sitting there being like two noodles. One noodle, two noodles. That's this place. I'm loving it. I, I, I love going from like both of those environments in and out. I think I think my I think if I didn't live anywhere except Australia. Actually, where would you live, Neil, if you had to live anywhere other than Australia? Well, I think I addressed that a few podcasts ago. Probably have to be New Zealand. Uh, yeah, Relatively okay, but you're just culture. thinking about it because... Oh, is that the reason? Okay. I thought that it was safe, just, again, uh, like we're going to uh, die. Yeah, a bit, a bit safer from climate change according to the uh, projections. But if uh, we're not taking those into account, where would I live? Ooh. In terms of just natural landscape or... Uh, culture or economy or what are we talking here just no i think just anything all in all what suits your vibe 
I like the cityscape. I, I actually like the Blade Runner vibe. Yeah. I like what I have now. I've got a little enclave in Blade Runner. I've got a, I've got a nice little apartment with uh, my, uh, my water feature and my house plants. I feel like it's a nice sanctuary within uh, the Blade Runner environment. Mm. And it really, look, Burwood Concord really is Blade Runner. There's a lot of apartment blocks popping up. But great mm. restaurants. Mm. So uh, I, I actually like uh, the hustle and bustle of the, of the city. I am one of those rare people. I, uh, maybe New York, London. Um, yeah. These, these big cities that just, you, you know, you, you get the feeling that you're just a cog in the machine, but it motivates you to work. You feel mm. like you're part of a, uh, an organism. Mm. And uh, mm. for some reason, I, I, I really like that. I don't like... I don't. I know a lot of people tend to have this desire to uh, get away from uh, the hellscape of big cities and live out in the country. No, I. I don't want to do that. I like. No? Uh, okay. Yeah, I like a lot of people. I. I, I kind of like uh, uh, bustling, crowded areas and uh, finding cool food spots and going to bars. And I mean, look, maybe when I'm in my forties and fifties, that'll change. Uh, but I, I guess New York, uh, that's, that's the concrete jungle. That's the big apple. And the, the, uh, small amount of time I have spent there has been thoroughly enjoyable. So okay. I mean, I'd everyone says New York's a good place. I've never, I have been, but I was so young, but I suppose the fact that it gets such rave reviews, uh, it, it definitely would be for a reason, surely. Mm, mm. like i mean well it, all those cliches are true it's the big apple it's the concrete jungle it's you know even having lived in sydney i i, I flew in and was just, i was 18 i was a little kid looking up at the skyscrapers they're gigantic mm, mm. okay so like big big city then and that's the whole thing so and and you would want the city to be american like a European or an Asian city wouldn't suffice. Um, uh, I haven't been to a lot of European and Asian cities. Right. Okay. I suppose I'm thinking about New York. It's got a it's got a comedy scene. It's uh, it, it's the world hub for uh the arts, but also a bustling city. And I suppose that would just kind of fit who I am. Um, but uh, in terms of European, yeah, London was nice. I haven't been to a lot of other European cities. Mm. I spent a week, I spent a few days in Paris. I didn't like it. It was, it was, it was sort of, it was gray and it, it seemed dull. I liked the Louvre, but that was it. But then I really loved Rome. But uh, that's all I've done. All the cla- I've I've done all just like the classic tourist cities: L.A., mm. New York, London, Rome, Paris, and then a few Indian cities, and then that's that's basically it. And then New Zealand. <laughs> that's the extent <laughs> of my travels. <laughs> Oi, you wouldn't live in India with like if someone paid you, right? I could live in India. No, now India is actually quite. Bombay is becoming a bit more. Uh, it's, every couple of years, I, I return there. It's it's 
the infrastructure improves and there are new um, places to visit. So maybe I would be something to uh, consider. It could be like a really, uh, it could be a New York of the future. Mm. What about you? Would you would you live in India? Christ. Well, look, if it's anything to go by with Pakistan, which I'd imagine it'd just be slightly poorer than India, couldn't do it. That was, I think, the most. It was hilarious. It was funny. The but thing it was is, just like, you yeah. can, you can basically live as a king in these. Uh, if you're upper middle class, you 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 just you can afford servants and live like an aristocrat. Yeah, but that was the whole thing. Like I thought that'd be mad, and then you kind of just sit there, and then someone's just like, "Do you want me to put on your shoes?" And it's like. Not really. <laughs> you know, like life doesn't get okay, much yeah, better than like a, <laughs> you know, someone doing these basic yeah. tasks for you doesn't really improve your life that much. And you just feel instantly like a spoiled yeah. little shit. <laughs> well. Yeah, at, at, at a point, is that, is that really efficient? You know, is that really uh, giving you more time to do the important things if someone puts on your shoes? <laughs> Doesn't you just feel fat and lazy? It doesn't help. <laughs> so I'm not. I, I wasn't into it. And then also, you go there and you think, yeah, I could afford one of the amazing baller houses in Pakistan. But here's the problem: it's still in Pakistan. It's just I would. I, I remember going back to where Ali lives, which is in the western suburbs of Sydney, and being like. Any day, give me Bankstown any day uh, over the Defence Housing Authority, as it's known there. I mean, how dystopic is that? The the <laughs> the happy suburb is called Defence Housing Authority. It has like you know yeah, armed uh, guards walking around with machine oh, guns. That's uh that's very dystopian. <laughs> yeah, well, at least you're safe. Uh, yeah. Well, they're probably defending that. from the Indians. That's probably what's that what they're worried about. So yeah. uh, you'd, ha- you'd like, have I, to I, visit uh, India and see if it's the same. I don't think, I don't think uh, the suburbs there are called the def- what is it? The Defence Housing defense Authority. Defence Housing Authority. So, so do you put scary. that online? If you're writing a, if you're uh, ordering a package from Amazon, do you have to put? Defense Housing Authority as the actual oh, address. Oh, no, no, no. You can shorten it to DHA. They'll know exactly what you mean. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Isn't that fucked? I don't what? know. Like, were the, the good suburbs in India good? That's what I'm wondering. Because when you walk around in the good suburbs in Pakistan, you walk outside and it's still smog-ridden, muggy. Uh, there's just, like, so many fucking no, people. still... Yeah, it's it's look, it's still the subcontinent. You're gonna get that everywhere. So, <laughs> so there's well, no look, like Sydney's gonna be like that in ten years anyway. So I know uh, it's so depressing. What isn't choice it? do you have? I know. I think I, I think if I maybe maybe in India there might be some nice like coastal city somewhere that might be a little more relaxed. I didn't see it in Pakistan. No, there's though. nothing relaxing in it. There's just so many people. Even the coastal, even their holiday cities like Goa is a is a sort of beach city, and 
no, it's 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 more crowded than anywhere in Australia, and there's just this cacophony <laughs> of noise all the time. Oh, in fuck. India. It's 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 great for um, as a cultural experience, but relaxing is not the right word to describe it. You you go there to find yourself as so many um middle class white Australians are fond of. Dude, but you don't go yeah. there to relax. Uh I, I what about <sighs> Bali? Because there's oh. a lot of uh influencers that uh will um actually relocate to Bali because you can basically just get amazing meals for a dollar fifty and then you don't have to cook. Mm. And you can also live like a king. Why do they do that? Is it because the influencers aren't making that much money or they've just made enough money that they can go there, buy a house for 200 grand that would be the same as buying a $10 million house here? I'm not sure. It, it seems like there's a, an actual industry there now. So if you are an uh, Instagram model, it, it, it might be like a comedian going to New York. There's just so many like-minded people. You're able to network uh, which is just doing cocaine and fucking each other, let's be mm -hmm. honest. Uh, but uh, you could probably get things very cheap there. You can get uh, the, the, the basic cost of living would be very low. There's probably nice beaches um, and you are probably treated like an aristocrat. So why not? Whereas if you uh, live in a nice area near a beach in Australia, it's going to cost you a lot of money. Hmm. So I'm guessing hmm. that's why, but I I don't know. I mean, hmm. maybe we can uh, start the uh, exodus of um, non-model. Well, you are a model, but uh, <laughs> otherwise non-model social media influencers uh, trekking it to Bali. And uh, yeah. I, honestly, I would do that. Tats. If I could convince even half of my staff to go live in Bali, I would move tomorrow. I... I think that, yeah, living in Bali would be, look, it's the same thing that everyone always says, but as soon as you get away from the Australians and Spanish people, Bali's great. Go to where the Germans are. The Germans know where it's at, which is, as always, not the beach. It's the rainforest. I would definitely mm. live there. Mm. I really like the idea of just uh, living in one of those big villas with the uh, rice paddies next to it and those lazy clapping air chimes that they have everywhere. I could definitely Ooh, live in Bali. nice. Yeah, the rice fields. There are actually quite nice coastal areas in Australia that probably have a, a, a pretty decent, uh, well, whether it's a forest or some, some good bush nearby, you know. Mm. You get the water and you get the bush. What, what more do you need? What more do you need? I think Wollongong, you get you get like qu quite nice beaches, and then there's the national park that sort of is on is, is close enough. They're both in reasonable driving distance. So, but you know what? Then the, you got the to problem deal with is like my family the living in the Wollongong. central coast. Exactly, that's the problem. <laughs> but the other thing is that I, I, I'm I'm okay. I like rough cunts, but. I think the fact that my family was from the Central Coast, it's like when the boys from The Simpsons went into Shelbyville and looked at that yellow fire hydrant and was saying, like, this place is starting to freak me out. Wollongong is... I, I would imagine Isaac Butterfield would have the same thing, being a guy from Newcastle. Like, it's, it's sort of similar but a little bit different. So it's just like, 
nah, you're in that uncanny valley where your face is kind of like halfway between a, a hot chick and a robot. <laughs> yeah, okay. Very uh, interesting <laughs> analogy there. I can't say I can relate, but uh, <laughs> sure, we can, <laughs> we can say that about Wollongong. But hey, let's, uh, let's get into the topic of social media. But before that, uh, I actually have another uh, affiliate sponsor that I'd like to really? uh, announce here. Cool. Yeah, yeah, I do. So this one's actually uh, come from a listener and it's called Solid GPS. So are you looking for a portable GPS? Check out Solid GPS. Nearly 50,000 vehicles are stolen every year in Australia, only slightly down because of COVID. To help recover stolen vehicles, your Aussie-built Solid GPS tracker can be placed nearly anywhere inside your vehicle, and it'll last for months on end. So whether you've got a caravan or a motorbike or a car or whatever the fuck you've got, uh, Solid GPS has got you covered Everything is included with your order and there's Aussie staff ready to help. All you need to do is go to solidgps.com, enter the coupon code NEIL at checkout to get two months of tracking for free. So go to solidgps.com, enter the coupon code NEIL, N-E-E-L, and you get a nice tailor-made, Aussie-made portable GPS to take with you and ensure that uh, if your vehicle does unfortunately get stolen, in Wollongong, you can track it. So, not bad. That's it. That's no more. No more sponsors. That's the end of it. No more than two per podcast. Yeah, I'm not going to make this a complete clusterfuck. So, okay. uh, just that. Crush Organics and Solid GPS. Get on them. Get on them. All right. So this is a question coming in from Ed, and it's how can we fix social media? Social media is obviously great and has some incredible benefits, yet it also has some serious issues which are affecting everything from mental health to democracy. I guess I would love to see how Australia could approach this without big media, uh, he who cannot be named, controlling the regulations, etc. in his favour. This would most likely require a global effort, especially from the US, to be most successful. Yet, could we set a standard to the world in regulating these companies for the betterment of the people and especially the young people who grow up, who grow, ugh, excuse me, who grow up with it, whom, being one myself, I feel this is affecting the most. To add, how could we do this without compromising the careers and livelihoods of the countless people like yourselves whose careers rely on these platforms? And then there's a couple of uh, um, articles that he sent through, and I read through some of them. They're interesting. They talk a lot about uh, misinformation. And uh, the the way that the algorithm uh, favors salacious and extreme content, but you know, I'm always very skeptical of of mainstream media critiquing social media because I agree that there are huge problems with social media, but there are also huge problems with social media. And when, um, sorry, with mainstream media, and when mainstream media decries the disinformation on social media. I feel like it's the pot calling the kettle black. And a lot of these articles seem to have this air of superiority Mm, and almost this kind of, uh, you know, I'm, I think you and I would also be biased, obviously, because we don't like mainstream media for uh, pretty clear reasons. But uh, the way they talk about it, it's, 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 it's void of any 
self-analysis and they're never actually looking mm. at themselves and asking the question, well, why have so many people turned away from mainstream media? Now, having said that, yeah, uh, social media is in many ways just a modern drug. It's a digital drug. Uh, the same uh, neurochemistry that occurs when you gamble or uh, when you take uh, illicit substances occurs when you're on social media. It's completely destroying the dopamine and serotonin receptors uh, for the entire population, but p- particularly, like he said, young people who have grown up with this. So what is your take on, on social media at large and, and how it relates to democracy and misinformation and, you know, the usual uh, topics of discussion when we um, delve into social media? What do you think? Look, it's definitely democratized. It's definitely democratized media, but at the same time, money talks and so those that can flood it for instance sky news uh is now up to getting millions and millions of impressions a day and they'll always hide that in the touting of free speech but you know free speech is helped out an awful lot when you have enough money to have a full-time staff blabbing 24 hours around the clock throwing darts at an algorithm that they have algorithm experts sitting around thinking about what topics are going to do well in the algorithm while the rest of us are kind of just blindly going, uh, this one, maybe let's see if this works. So, uh, massive, huge advantages. Sure. Yeah. Where I just, I, I suppose where I just, uh, am a little bit critical of that point that's espoused about how, you know, right-wing media outlets are sort of manipulating the narr- the, uh, the social media algorithm to, um, to portray their narrative. They always did that. Before social media, there were always sensationalist news networks that were uh, uh, chaos merchants and uh, sensationalist and salacious and extreme and... We're always trying to hook people in with uh, very uh, emotional content. So has that not just transitioned online when it was otherwise happening in the in, in the six o'clock news or in America, cable news has been doing this for decades. Mm. And now they're talking about how oh, social media is dangerous because of misinformation. Well, again, I, I, I just can't help but think, look, this is, this is the, the, the Frankenstein monster you created. You developed uh, the public's taste for sensationalist content, and now it's just found a new medium. What do you think well, of that? It's not really that they... It's, it's a constant arms race, and that's what uh, – I can't remember the name of that whistleblower from Google was talking about, but really the aim of the game is attention. It's always has been attention. And now mm-hmm. that they have minute-to-minute, second-to-second guises on what people are paying attention to, they can really measure uh, you know, extremely accurately what is holding people's attention – and then they just keep honing in on that. And so mm. 
it's sort of just, I guess, what happened from weed in the 70s to weed to now. They just kept making stronger and stronger strands of it. That's the difference. The other difference is that uh, in the when when cable news was the, the you know the the big scary boogeyman du jour of the time, uh, it, it still was only playing to about ten million people. And yes, that definitely did warp democracy. But on, on a on a personal scale, like most people's lives just went on unless they were addicted to that dramatic cycle whereas now yeah uh you know sky news permeates i think into something like eight million or seven million australian homes uh every every month they'll see like in other words they will see a clip of it somewhere whereas before it'd only have a hundred thousand people now i'm still think that that's probably on the on the whole a better thing because there will at least be some voices countering Sky News, um, but yeah, like in in terms of in terms of democratizing media, uh, it, it's done something, but it hasn't really solved the problem at all. Sure, there was a there was a small window there where people like yourself were able to uh, uh, make their mark on social media. But now it seems like the the big players are back at it, and they've yeah. Whether they've monopolized the uh, market, they've they've definitely cannibalized a lot of it. With, with Sky News seems to be a particular boogeyman. Now I find some of their cultural takes entertaining. I'm not going to lie because, well, one they're quite funny sometimes, and I do think. Uh, the 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 woke left on cultural issues is insane mm. so i like it when they sit mm. there and just yell at them <laughs> but uh <laughs> when when uh, people say oh this is you know this is dangerous because they're manipulating the algorithm to uh spread misinformation I can I, I agree with the sentiment that people are getting addicted to controversy and I can feel myself getting addicted to uh well whether it's Instagram or the controversy on Twitter, it's a big reason why I deleted my Twitter. But misinformation is a funny word to me, and a lot of these articles were talking about all oh, the hate the hate speech on social media and the misinformation and you know, there was this um uh presentation that just sort of seemed like this cringy corporate PowerPoint that was talking about how, you know, we need to regulate social media. It, it, it feels to me that like, oh, we were the gatekeepers and we want to be the gatekeepers again. Now there's something mm. to be said about expertise. Uh, there are certain uh, hierarchies of competence and expertise, such as the medical establishment, for example, that should be allowed to have the, the you know, the pedestal, and uh, be given the loudest microphone, if you will. But at what point, you know, a lot of these terms, I'm just, I'm just very skeptical and cynical um, of one, the the intentions of uh, mainstream media calling out social media, but also uh, something like misinformation or uh, you know, uh, hate speech. Well, these are very subjective terms, and we both know that 
the uh, you know the the range now of what's considered misinformation or conspiracy theories or extremist content often covers things that can actually be true that people would rather just smear as extremist content or radical content or misinformation at the same time have i gone down an echo chat have i gone gone down a rabbit hole for the last couple of years and you know all the online news sources that i watch are actually radicalizing me or so you don't the point is like I, I, you know you just don't know um i'm one person who am i to say which is the valid information source uh but who will regulate the regulators? You know, who gets to decide what is truthful and what is beyond the pale and what is healthy free speech versus harmful free speech? And to me, I think some sort of regulation needs to happen, but we also need to be very careful about what that regulation is. And I I, I don't know what it looks like. Exactly. That's the whole thing. I just can't imagine what constructive regulation of the internet would look like. The only thing that I would say that I would really like to see is somehow to get rid of the incentive to constantly grab your attention because that's where all of that, uh, yeah. Depression and, and, uh, like, you know, quote-unquote extreme views comes from it comes from the constant need to you know get eyeballs that are used now very very used to not looking at things that aren't remotely entertaining for like a nanosecond myself included like god my brain must be different now to what it was when i was watching the simpsons at six o'clock You know, that's the thing that I'm actually like more scared about when it comes to, when it comes to regulating what people should and shouldn't be watching. I can't imagine that ever being remotely helpful. I, I, it it would always be corrupted by the person that's regulating it. Yeah, that's, that's the problem. And, and, and I think we see that with a lot of the, uh, posts that are being banned now. You know, they're, they're sort of being extra cautious and they're banning things without any really, without at least seemingly um, a clear uh, guideline of what is actually beyond the pale. Mm. You know, this report here, it said it came up with 25 solutions from the social media summit at MIT. Hold platforms accountable for designs that amplify lies. So I think what they mean by that is an algorithm that keeps recommending more extreme content that it could actually be uh, false. Uh, Platforms should be held accountable for that. There's no journalistic standards at all, which certainly can be a problem. Uh, focus on and shut down prolific disinformation networks, use content interventions to nudge people toward awareness of falsity and accuracy, give researchers access to more data using technologies like differential privacy and institutional mechanisms like data safe harbors, offer platforms incentives like legal immunity to share more data with researchers. See, things like this, I don't know how this is going to help. It could just Mm. be used 
by unscrupulous actors for even more harm. Mm. Create independent panels to oversee research funding mm. by platforms. See, all these takes from uh, people who are in, you know, what you could loosely define as the establishment, right? Uh, traditional media and uh, what looks to be, you know, higher echelons of the corporate world. It seems to me that their suggestions are just ways to make social media into something that's more palatable for them mm. rather than actually thinking about what is going to help society here. Now, I think when it comes to children, if over the next five to 10 years, the trends worsen, because already the trends when it comes to things like depression and uh, just basic mental health outcomes for children, it's disgraceful. It's really horrific for, as he said in this question, for young people, we seriously do have to consider some sort of authoritarian type of complete ban on social media for people under the age of 18. I I really think that has to be an option if after another five to 10 years, the trends worsen. Now, I can't see how it can get any worse than what it is now when there's something like the last I looked, it was something ridiculous, like a 400 percent increase in self-harm for people uh in their teenage years just just horrific horrific statistics that there's there's no reason advanced economies should be um enduring that that children in advanced economies should be enduring this Mm. but i think for adults it's a different story i i i think uh, i i do think it's a huge problem but I also think the regulation can be a problem. There's this other article here that says, what does it say? It says, to, to fix social media, we need to introduce digital socialism. So there needs to be a global digital commons um, and it can't be, you know, the profit motive can't be uh, uh, the the driver of their content and, Mm. Yeah, but again, what does that mean? What does that look? Yeah, I see. The thing is, look, I think Neil, I've, you know what I've been thinking about a lot recently. Technology is just going to keep exacerbating age-old mm. problems. They're just going to keep getting worse and worse, and I really don't think that anything can solve it. Do you reckon like like what yeah. what is that? Oh, we're going to have to uh, eliminate the profit motive for Google. Oh yes, I'm sure they'll be swayed by your article that you just wrote on Google. They're not going to care. Yeah, like it's, it's if they give a fuck, and of of course they wouldn't. And like yeah, and, and like yeah, in, in terms of it getting worse in the future, yeah, it'll definitely get worse. Like man. Can't you just see that social media keeps getting more and more sticky? I remember being able to pull away from, say, Facebook because it just wasn't that interesting. But now, even though I'm not interested in Facebook, <laughs> they just know. Yeah. They just, there's so much shit that they know exactly where to go. Like, okay, they're leaving it. Gotcha. You know? Ah, <laughs> oh, they, yeah, they really know what they're doing. It's, um, it's, it's improving year it? on year. It's, this isn't. This isn't. This definitely isn't healthy. I wonder. I hope uh, there's just a sort of cultural shift against social media, and 
there's uh, more people who are just logging off and deleting their social media accounts and <laughs> moving back to flip phones. Unless they're listening to this podcast, obviously, and our videos. But other than that, <laughs> see, that's the other thing. See, we're obviously quite biased either because we, well, our career relies on social media. So we understand the um, adverse effects of it, but it's also been massively advantageous to us. So, uh, yeah, look, I really can't imagine how depressing tough, my life it's, would be without it. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. We'd be somewhere like trying to climb the ladder of Australian mainstream comedy. Okay, so the, the conclusion of his article was like a genuine solution requires digital social, socialism, a decentralized social media commons based on free and open source technology supported by laws and the public purse. The foundation is already set, but a popular movement is needed to see it through. You know, look, I mean, good luck. <laughs> it's not happening, is it? It's really this not language, happening. it's so inflammatory. It's, it's you know, oh, everyone... Everyone who seems to think differently to the uh, mainstream media narrative is, is has been radicalized. They're extremists. No, no. Well, who who are the at what point does someone become a radical? That's See, just this... like it's a, it could be a radical to you, but what it, it to me? What actually is beyond the pale? <laughs> Yeah, I've got to say, uh, it is. See this kind of shit me. in this in this in this Guardian article. Like, of course they say this. Like, requires that society decolonize our assumptions about racism, speech, dissidence, and violence. I uh, that, that is the last person I want determining what is and isn't seen on social media. That is a, an extremely biased person who's been indoctrinated in whatever social science degree they've done. But th this is, they're the radical. They're the extremist and they don't realize. It's. I suppose it is how the human brain works, but that's the thing that's quite scary. Well, scary in two ways at our day and age, I suppose, because I suppose you could argue it from this way. The fact that everybody was hypnotized by the same narrative in the past, relatively. Mm. I mean, you know what's a really interesting site is looking at US elections and how when there was just five channels, uh, if there was a Republican president, the Republican would win virtually all the states. And if there was a Democrat president, they'd win virtually all the states. Then when your CNN started to kick online, all of a sudden the map started looking very patchy. And now you're at the point where the map is, you know, a couple of people uh, accidentally dropping their ballot in the bin by mistake instead of the ballot box and you would have a different president. That's what's happened now because of all of the channels. And I suppose that's what they mean by right. it is we're living in scary times now, whereas before everybody was radicalized by the same Aztec emperor worshipping the sun god. 
Now there's just many, many, yeah. many smaller gods. And so how do you keep society mm. on track in that environment? Yeah. That's actually a scary thing to think about. in a different reality. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. How do you bring them together? You always just have this idea that free speech will prevail, but obviously it doesn't. No. It's a strange... It's a really strange reality that we're in now. And you know what else is amazing? Actually, I can't remember the guy that was saying it, but there was this line that really stuck in my mind, which was, we have been running the biggest uh, psychological experiment in human history by a mile for the last 10 years, and there's no mm. stop button to it. That's phenomenal. He's... That is a very scary prospect to like really dwell on because where do we go from here? He's right. There's no way out. The technology is just going to keep getting more and more extreme, which means that the way that people's minds will be responding to it will be more and more extreme. And the other thing is as well, I feel like in an alternate universe, Neil, don't you feel like you would be more relaxed and for lack of a better word, depressed, as opposed to now where you're just constantly more tightly wound and anxious? Certainly, because uh, there are constant threats being thrown at you on social media when you're not meant to see that. You're not meant to have your cortisol levels spiked continuously as you scroll through this little computer in your in the palm of your hand. And not only but that, here you, know, we you are. see some posts that, that spike this and then dopamine comes in here and it's just... It's so tempting, though. Mm. It's impossible to avoid. It's my phone. It's my means of communication. And... I've 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 improved in my ability to uh, control against it, and I, and I hope there's just this general collective wisdom that uh, uh, starts to permeate throughout society, wherein people can detect how damaging social media is becoming to our psyche and and for our day to day lives, and as a result, they without government regulation, they make the personal choice to limit it and discipline themselves. But I there just, a, I wonder if yeah. that will be enough when you, you know, you, you, you're trying to fight against an algorithm that probably knows you better than you know yourself. That's probably listening to me now. <laughs> Creepy. Yeah. So, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what. I always thought that the best decision I ever made was to not go down the route of a smartphone. And even now that I have to use one to have the teleprompter, I can see how alluring it is. That is some escape from it that I suppose most people just don't have. The other thing that I Done think well. is like, yeah, it just...
your mind needs boredom. And that's something that also freaks me out is that I, for the life of me, can't remember the last time I was bored. When was the last time you were bored? It's, it's, it's a good question. I mean, trying to go for walks in lockdown where I just don't even listen to music or audiobooks or anything, and I just walk with my thoughts, and I, I try to meditate each day. Um, but I don't know if I'd call that boredom. Um, it's... it's uh, there's no stimulation, but I don't have that feeling of I am bored and I have nothing to do because there's just so much to do. There's as soon as you're bored, it's just a, it's a reflex. You, you turn on the phone. So, ah, uh, something's got to give man. But I, I mean, I don't know what that is, you know, when they talk about all these purveyors of hate speech and white supremacist ideas. What they mean by that is anything that perpetuates a system that has inequities is considered white supremacist. So in any system, if you will, where um, there isn't proportionate black or indigenous representation in every facet of society, especially uh in areas of uh high influence and power it is a white supremacist system now that's a that's a a feel you know a, a noble philosophical perspective that should be thought about but it's spoken as though it's a divine truth and it's not a divine truth because it doesn't take into account culture, it doesn't take into account behavior, it doesn't take into account interests, and likes, and the uh, positives of the current quote-unquote system. So, you know, I hear words like that that are being espoused in these articles, and I immediately think, well, this person is just the last person we want regulating social media or even offering ideas to regulate social media because they perceive any um, any dissent of their worldview as not only a different opinion but as white supremacy. And it's, it's, it's really manipulative in many ways because people hear that term and have a knee-jerk reaction and they think, oh, okay, the guy with the shaved head in the, in the KKK robe, and, and no, that's not how it's used in this context it's 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 it is quite manipulative and these are a lot of the people that seem to be making these decisions about where social media is bad and why it's bad and they can't handle the fact that there are people calling out their bullshit and they just mm. see it as hate speech it's it's actually people who've never really been challenged properly in their lives so I have my, as as cynical as I am of what social media is doing to the world I'm I'm even more cynical of the people who are likely to be the ones regulating it 
and 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 that's why I think the 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 best solution right now is uh, well personal discipline. And if you if you have kids, just don't even give them devices. I know the um a lot of the people who work in social media companies just don't even give their kids iPads or iPhones. So just don't give it to them. It, it, it might calm them down, but. You know, it's like it's like calming them down with a cigarette. What is the long term mm. damage you might be doing there? So I think it comes down to parents actually just taking a stance. And look, they might face a lot of social ostracization with all the other kids who have smartphones and things. But look, maybe they they can have access to some kind of desktop for an hour a day, or if they have to, a screen for you know, an hour a day, but even an hour, you know, nothing more than that. That's why I think when it comes to children, it's pretty authoritarian, but it just should be an outright ban. I, I can't, I, I just, I can't see any other tenable solution right now. It's just so damaging to uh, young people whose brains are still forming. And you know, I'm not, I haven't missed the boat entirely when I was um, in, primary school and high school people were on msn and myspace and that was when social media just first came about but isn't but, it uh, charming people... thinking about myspace and msn now yeah because it was completely myspace free of was adults. just a if happy anything, reddit when the... yeah when the adults got onto it they're the ones that made it far worse but like, don't yeah. you, I don't know. It, it, this could just be me because I'm just immersed in a political world. But don't you think that the internet just seems like a really angry, snarky, smug place? Yes, and I don't know if I'm. It's it's. How do we know if we're not contributing to that? Because we also have to try and compete in this attention economy. Now I like to think I don't I don't purposely try and make videos or content that's controversial or provocative, but uh, well, sometimes I do. But the pro provocation is also there's also you know there's something deeper than just simply being controversial or provocative. Look, I think that, but as always, it's a tool it that we, You're right. it is a snarky place and we definitely uh. do play into it because, although, you know what? I did look at comedians from a day yonder and they weren't. And I forgot that you don't have to be sarcastic and snarky to be a comedian. It's one form. But just every comedian now <laughs> is. It's it's kind of just an emotion that I think the internet sure. hypnotizes you into. It's an emotion that you feel a lot more. I feel... Mm. Even listening to someone like who who is notably calm and rational, someone like Sam Harris even now seems quite unhinged compared to what he was even four or five years ago. Really? Well, he doesn't, he definitely uh, doesn't seem as calm and rational and uh, phlegmatic 
which he's always known for. So now still he's, is, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> compared to most commentators, but but his housekeeping uh, is now half the show, is it? <laughs> it's, it's becoming <laughs> more sure, yeah. Um, but it's also hard to avoid because it's uh, if you're competing with everyone else in this attention economy, you have to you have to play into that. I suppose maybe it's like a pop musician who doesn't want to sexualize themselves. But to uh, get yourself out there, you have to play the game, if you will. But are we just fueling the arms race? You know, I don't, I don't know because I try to steer clear of things like clickbait titles. But I also, you know, I'd be lying if I didn't say, oh, sometimes I think about how can I truthfully title this, but also in a way that will compel people to watch it. But that's no different to say a, a, a newspaper back in the day um, thinking about an attention-grabbing headline. Yeah. There was it's... a type of news. I can't remember what it was called. Mm. But that was the entire game. And I think everybody in society knew it, but they would still buy it. It was around in the 20s, I think, where to just have on the front like shock aliens invade Washington and then people would buy it and be like, give me that. And it'd have nothing to do with that in the paper at all. <laughs> That's great. I know. Like it was just sort of accepted. That's definitely not so much accepted now, but again, there is this constant. Dosing up of dopamine. This always what's happening next? 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 I think that that is a real reason why I'm going to sleep at 2.30 at night now. Uh, It makes life just move a lot faster. And yeah, look. Damn, bro, we've swapped. You You were the early riser. Yeah, I still, you know, that week I spent with you in Lithgow, you were yeah. up early well, taking your dog for a walk and I was I was in my social media coma <laughs> eating like crap. <laughs> is that what happened? Uh, right, well, that is a perfect depiction because, you know, I had no access to the internet at all. I had to go to the McDonald's mm. car park if I wanted to check my social media. <laughs> That's right. He had to go to McDonald's to use the Wi-Fi to upload. You're one of the biggest YouTubers in the country and you're sitting there (laughs) with your fucking hotspot Macca's (laughs) Wi-Fi in Lithgow. But But that is actually commendable because I think those are the sort of steps you need to take in order to mitigate against the um, serious uh, psychological health implications of social media. I think that's actually a very for whatever loss of efficiency you endure by having to deal with <laughs> McDonald's Wi-Fi, you are <laughs> doing something positive for your uh, mental and ultimately physical health. Um, but it's, it's, it's hard now. You know, it's just, there is, there is uh, 
digi- there are digital nomads out there, but even that you know they rely on a digital uh, prof- a profession that relies on the internet. But they'll move to really tranquil, picturesque, um, exotic places and just do all their work online. Mm. But that it could do that. Look, the digital revolution could fuel uh, a movement away from big. Uh, urban centers, which is in, in Australia, you could argue COVID has seen a little bit of that trend where a lot of people are moving to satellite cities, at least around Sydney, like the Central Coast and, and Wollongong and um, these sorts of areas. That is cool. I the, the... Because the, but that's yeah. the whole thing. It's just like work follows you there. That's yeah yeah of course you know like it yeah, just it doesn't it actually ends. do anything for social media yeah because now you if just you, all right yeah go on go on i don't know it's just you could be anywhere in the world now and you'd still be doing your job and you'd still be doing it for the same period of time that's the problem like yeah. what you said there is a social media coma and it does it takes a couple of weeks to get out of it yep I don't know, man. What it's would actually you do really... if you were if you were a prime minister or something? Would you do something? Would you the other up to you know breaking up Facebook and things like that? But I just can't see how any of this helps. I I I I, I... no. It's just look. I, I don't think know. it's it's the evils of playing into human beings vices and i don't think that there's anything that anyone can do if you were the prime minister what are you going to do about that these are multinational companies and what is google going to do about it because if they don't do it then i don't know yahoo will step in someone (laughs) (laughs) someone will take the ask jeeves (laughs) he's back i think it's just called ask.com now I was so sad. Uh, about yeah, that. that's right. And there was so Bing depressing for it? a while. <laughs> oh, was it? Yeah, yeah. That's how well, powerful Google them. is. It's now it's now part of the vocabulary to Google something is to search it. It's that's what you want for. That's the best branding you could possibly hope for to actually oh. become part of the lexicon. Yeah. No, they really. Uh... But see, that's the whole thing. It's just like Google has sort of replaced your brain. You don't need to think about maps anymore. For instance, uh, scary. I know. Like if you, when you had to rely on maps, there was certain parts of your brain that are just bigger than they are now. You kind of just externalize that. Or the thing that everybody always says is kind of a joke. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, That point of, you know, no one in a conversation anymore, except I suppose on podcasts, but even then they have producers that look at it. But usually no one in a conversation anymore says, what's the name of that bird in the Amazon that has the colored beak? You know, like they just look it up now. They just look up bird with colored beak in the Amazon. Hmm. So you, you you're not ever... It's also destroyed 
uh, imagination straight there. And also like uh, pouring into the recesses of your memory. No need to do that. Hmm. You know what it is. It's kind of like a mental version of what we were talking about before of the guy in India that ties up your shoes for you. It's just made wow. you lazier. All the laborious mental tasks have already been uh, covered by social media, but you actually need to be doing those as practice to uh, increase your capacity of doing the more complex tasks. I wonder if uh, this would actually start to affect cognitive ability. Although I have heard somewhere that, uh, I, I don't know how true this is, but I think I, I, I can't remember where I read it, probably on social media. Uh, average IQ is still increasing. Although, although this is, these are sort of over hundreds of years. I don't know if you if you measured it, say in twenty fourteen compared to now. I wonder if, uh, yeah, just general cognitive ability has declined because it's not I'm... as though mm. you are still think. You know, you are. It's like you're in this constant state of of stress. Uh, but you're also a di- you, you, your brain is actually working. You know, it's not at, in a in a rest period. So maybe, uh, who knows uh, how this would sort of mold our brain? Because there's there's something I, I can't remember if I read this in Sapiens or some other uh, some sort of anthropology source, but. Uh, when we were in a natural environment where there were just constant threats, constant threats of danger, and our brain had to just be working at full capacity all the time, our overall cognitive capabilities and capacities were greater. It's just that through uh, uh, complex societies everyone was able to specialize in various areas and as a result the cumulative wisdom of uh the human species and 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 knowledge kept increasing and people would continually benefit from that but the the, the base cognitive capabilities of a a soul hunter gatherer is actually greater than any uh, "Quote unquote civilized man." So maybe because mm. social media is putting our brain in this constant state of stress. If I'm trying to be somewhat optimistic, it could have some. In the same way, if your muscles are just constantly being put under stress, they can completely deteriorate because they're put under too much stress, or they can actually strengthen them. So maybe uh, you'd have to do some sort of extreme neuroscience studies here but look it it could actually uh make us more intelligent hopefully something good i think it's yes it well look i would say that what's happening is yeah you're getting a more souped up car but the driver's getting worse because it wouldn't yeah, surprise okay. me at all if okay. you actually are getting smarter, but the capacity to sit down and focus on a complicated task, that's greatly diminished. That's something that 
economists are now factoring into the economy is uh, there is a generation before it was computer games and now it's just the internet in general. So boys were sort of the canary in the coal mine with COD. And then it just started to catch up to everybody else. And what's happened is we are now producing entire generations that have zero skills. So by the time I I consider myself extremely lucky, I really don't know how that panned out for me, but I did just spend 10 years of my life trying to hone very specific skills. But that is becoming a rarity in generations that are younger than us. Hmm. Well, there's plenty of uh, brilliant meme makers out there. That's a that's a skill yeah. of the future. And the, the <laughs> irony is that there will be a demand for uh, corporate marketing teams to have meme makers, and mm. and and so many uh, positions that uh, people in 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 late Gen Y and, and Gen Z are occupying are social media based. And it makes a lot of sense. They know it better than anyone. If anything, mm. I think it's the older generations that are struggling to cope because when you grow up with it, you, there's there's certain wisdom that someone who's been on social media for 10 years has that someone who's you know two years into it doesn't have. Something as simple as uh, I remember doing a, a series a couple of years ago, Crossing the Line, uh, where uh, we deliberately wrote beyond the pale offensive jokes and 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 uh sort of gauged how different people responded and the uh people in their 20s and, and teens i asked them after the first few episodes were released because there was some uh you know heated uh discussion in the comments about how certain people reacted to the jokes and i just sort of checked in and said i just want to make sure you're okay after seeing some of those comments and Everyone in their 20s said, oh, I'm not stupid enough to look at the comments. Mm. Whereas the, uh, in fact, one in particular, lovely lady, she was seeing there responding on Instagram to all the comments. <laughs> and that's someone who just clearly hasn't had the experience with social media to, to understand that it is a snarky negative. It, it can be a snarky negative place where people uh, aren't communicating with people face-to-face and therefore aren't uh, responding to emotional cues and and therefore feel um, justified in saying generally much uh, harsher things. And, yeah, if, if, if anyone can't cope with it, it's Gen X and Boomers. <laughs> they've lived their whole life without it and now they have to try and adapt to it. Whereas at least when you're uh, an adolescent, you're still developing neural pathways to which, which can be a bad thing because they're sort of, like you say, they're um, limiting the uh, the focus and the concentration capacity for the next generation. But hopefully, again, if I'm trying to look at some sort of light at the end of the tunnel here, uh, hopefully young people can evolve uh, new norms uh, to to deal with this Frankenstein monster that is social media and, and still benefit from the uh, advantages of it. I mean, you do have all of human 
knowledge in the palm of your hand. It's remarkable. If, if we had the discipline, this is the best tool we could possibly have to achieve anything. But you also have an infinite library of uh, basically what is it, you know, just digital concubines <laughs> there to distract you. <laughs> distract you. And what, you, what else have you got? Just whatever fantasy world you want to play a part in. It's there. Uh, so how much more tempting is that than the task at hand, which may be whatever it is, cleaning your room or <laughs> and not even mm. as a metaphor, just actually cleaning your room. Cleaning Why the hell room. would you want to do that when you can be a, you know, a hero in World War Two, and then jack off to five um, beautiful <laughs> D-cop slots or whatever it is on Pornhub's. Why the fuck would you want to clean your room? <laughs> See, that's the whole thing. It's just right there. Bam. Yeah. Anything that yeah. you want at your fingertips. So obviously you're just always going to go for that. You're right. If only you could develop the discipline. The problem is every year it's getting better at hitting the people that are the most disciplined because, man, I think about it and, like, man, I used to be, which is pathetic. This should not be the case. I swear to God I was more disciplined when I was, like, 19 than I am now. Yeah, but like you say, it's it's just it's an arms race between the discipline of the – average person in the social media algorithm and you know we can't compare as disciplined as we may be as stoic as we can hope to be we can never compete with a team of you know autistic engineers and behavioral economists that are being paid millions to develop the algorithm to hook you in for just that extra 10 minutes so you can sell some garbage amazon product that's probably just something that's taken off alibaba (laughs) <laughs> which we all fall Look, for that's, oh, that's how you make money that's how you hustle <laughs> you, you can make six figures in sales just <laughs> find something on alibaba and sell it on amazon at 10 times the prize hashtag entrepreneur and you know what else is fucked as well the mm. fact that people do actually make a lot of money off of that like in yeah, general, know, it is a mug. Worst. <laughs> that's the worst part about it. It's mm. so weird, isn't it? That like really, what is the skill that is being implemented there? I suppose that you can get literally a nothing. good in front of certain eyeballs that want to buy it. Yeah, I suppose. All right. I've kind of taken it back a bit. It is just a bit like being in a marketplace back in the day. Yeah, look, you're just taking advantage of suckers, really. Yeah, true. Well, (laughs) and and I haven't understood why isn't Alibaba or, you know, Chinese uh, sellers, why haven't they caught on to it? Why are they selling it to these, you know, middlemen? for their extremely cheap price when they could just sell it themselves for whatever the, you know, the American uh, markup price is. Something, really something nefarious know. is occurring there. This is some, this is Xi Jinping's master plan to sell 
you know, very cheap Alibaba products to just some like 19 year old hashtag entrepreneur, hashtag hustler wankers who then sell it at 10 times the price on Amazon to some complete suckers. And I did this the other week. I bought something that I then Googled and I was like, oh, okay. Could have gotten it on AliExpress for like <laughs> one tenth the price. Oh, I was swindled. Man. I was totally swindled. Uh, so this is why I'm so triggered by it. These, these guns. <laughs> yeah, well, you me. have every right to be. <laughs> Always Google yeah, every nice. Google everything before you buy it, uh, especially if it comes up in a digital ad. You, you make sure, except the things I'm spruiking on this podcast, but uh, everything else. Google it. Yeah, every, make sure Google it's not everything a scam. Else. I'm, I'm really, uh, the one thing you're right. My editor the other day. Because he's younger than us. There's moments where he says something that he kind of just takes for granted. Hmm. where he didn't grow up in the world that we had, you know, information wasn't really available at our fingertips. It was, but it was just in its really primordial stages. And I can't remember what it was, but it was something to do with self-help. And he Mm -hmm. said, I can't believe that you guys just talk about this now. And I said, well, what was that about? And then he was just saying, yeah, well, like, you know, you just, everyone sort of just knows that from his generation. So it is like a specific concept. Yeah, it was a specific concept. And I think he was talking about this podcast and just like laughing at what boomers we were because we were just like, man, have you ever, and he was just like, yeah, like everyone knows that. And it was, it was that, it was like, look, We, we came from a generation where, like I'm always saying on my self-help channel, if I didn't stumble across Tony Robbins, literally open on a desk in front of my face, would have never happened. Like my life would have been completely different if that didn't happen. Random chance mm. stuff. So the uh, level of like that Alibaba good, I suppose being marketed to you now is so much higher. It's yeah. so much higher that something good will come in front of you if you're searching for it, I suppose. Yeah. But at the same time, I've just got to say, like there's, there's an innocence that I remember that doesn't exist anymore and that's sad. And it is kind of what people say to people that are a bit older than us, because uh, I think ever since I was wanking, I always had access to porn. And so Sam, like, like, but, but, you know, there's older people that are always saying that like, you know, sex was way better before porn. It's that same thing. It's just like, it it completely destroys innocence. Yeah, well, I mean, that's, I'm sure even if you told most men, hey, this is, I think most people understand that that's 
the case. I don't think anyone's watching porn thinking, hey, this is good for me and this is going to be good for my sex life. It's just so tempting because it's just these unbelievable fantasies in the palm of your hand. You just oh, yeah. have like, such extreme discipline. To, I mean, look, I say this. I'm sure there's a lot of guys who pretty comfortably do uh, no fap. Uh, so it might not be that harsh, but I, 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 it's, the temptation of porn is, is to me just so strong. No, yeah, so massive. strong. And you know what? That one year I, I went without it. Dramatically improved my sex life after that. Dramatically, so worth it. But mm. for me to do that, it needed to like hit rock bottom. The amount of porn I was watching and like the issues I was having when I was, you know, I was what twenty four. I was like, I, I've got it. Like, there's no option here. I've got to do something about it. <laughs> and then look, it did. It did. It did help. So. Uh, the problem is, yes, it would have been massive and a huge improvement, which is sad that you can even notice that there's that much of an improvement. But I would say that the next thing is that the fact that you can even, you know what I'm saying? Like the plasticity in your brain wouldn't have healed entirely from what porn has done to it. No, because I was watching since I was 12. It's scary. Yeah, it's scary, isn't it? So anyway, like I I really think that when you think about this more, the overall impact of what the internet is doing, it would have to be bad. It really would. It's opened up avenues of unbelievable options that our Mm. forefathers like just couldn't even imagine. And like, you know, boomers can't imagine now. Like the fact that this is just amazing to me. I stayed around in my basement and now I'm kind of competing with news organizations. Um, That is massive. That is huge. Mm. Would not have existed 10 years ago. Does exist now. That's incredible. But Man, it came at a price. Mm. It mm. really came at a price. To conclude this, what if you were, uh, so you wouldn't do any, take any measures or implement any sort of regulation? Like I said previously, I just, I just, I what does that look like? It's, there are more oh, you know issues what? that then arise from that to, for me. i tell you something that actually did uh, help out a lot, but this was in terms of national cohesion. Um, in Taiwan, the communications minister put up something in Facebook comments, made it mandatory that every time two people that normally would disagree on things, because they've obviously got an algorithm of who everybody is and what their political views are. Mm -hmm. And if they found that those two people agreed on something in the comments, they'd give them some little anime thing that had come up and be like, yay. 
and uh, just reinforce that behavior. And <laughs> really, it's that simple. <laughs> it was. It was like a real. Like all of this stuff of like, we need committees. Well, who's going to be on that committee? A bunch of wankers from the Guardian and the Liberal Party. Wow, exactly. what a great, like I can't imagine a, a more utopic environment of people, uh, you know, determining what is and isn't good. <laughs> like just awful exactly. human beings determining that. Yeah. I, I, I really think that if it was anything, God, it would have to be light touch stuff and it would have to be, I think that kind of stuff, it'd be like positive reinforcement of good behaviors as opposed to stopping negative behaviors because stopping negative behaviors, you, you start getting very quickly down the path of just banning people offline, um, which is already happening as we know, right? But I think that if you just do that kind of stuff, if you were going to do anything, I think that that's all you can do is offer carrots. Carrots is the only thing. Sticks can't work in this situation. Yeah. I Like I said previously, I would uh, think about serious regulation for children. Uh, and you know what? I don't think anybody that, would disagree I, I with think, that. Yeah. I mean, it's just getting worse by the year. Something has to something has to be done for ch for children. I mean, this is just for the for the kids for the kids. For the, yeah, this is just horrific. The way you know the self harm in young girls has increased to such a degree. It's just not. It's beyond a joke. It's it's so so bad. And it just when it's people under a certain age, these are, you know these are vulnerable people that. Well, the, yeah, the government and society should be responsible for, and we are failing. So, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people under eighteen listen to this, but understand what this is doing, what being on social media is doing to you, and practice as much discipline as you possibly can. Uh, I'm too skeptical of regulatory measures to. Uh, fully back any proposals that I've heard of because like Jordan said, the people on these committees, the sort of people who are determining what is and isn't hate speech, I don't trust them. So maybe I've been radicalized, but I <laughs> I, I like to think I'm quite, <laughs> yeah, I, I try to really go through everything and, and with a fine tooth comb and listen to the other side and, I I, re I do try and do the best I can, but I know if you exist in a certain reality, sometimes that's quite difficult. But just the, the language that these people espouse, it's ironically a lot of what they seem to be against, which is hate speech and dehumanization. But that, that's exactly what they're doing to their detractors. And no, I, I, I think... I think it is what it is and maybe it should be seen as something like gambling where there's some level of regulation for people who are like legitimate addicts and maybe there can be awareness campaigns by the government, not so much uh, targeting, you know, political echo chambers and things, but just, just general addiction to social media, what it's doing to your brain in the same way they have anti-smoking campaigns 
those ads can be quite powerful. So something like that uh, wouldn't hurt. And then it's about developing new cultures and um, adaptations to deal with this, to deal with this unbelievable temptation that we're not accustomed to dealing with. And yeah, it's about what? regulating your own use and being as disciplined as you possibly can. And I, I, I think I've said this on previous podcasts, the first couple of hours in the morning, you should not be looking at the phone. The phone shouldn't be where you're sleeping. Um, and then the last couple of hours before bed, you should, you should definitely not be looking at it. And then you should be just really strict with limiting, um, your social media uses. Again, it's just so much easier said than done. I don't always live up to these standards myself, but you, you got to try. You got to, you know, if you take extreme measures in getting a flip phone and just completely getting it, weaning yourself off social media, I think the benefits from that, again, other than these podcasts, the benefits of that far outweigh whatever costs you may incur. Um, but it's it's a problem of the of the twenties, isn't it? Along with coronavirus, it's just something we really got to come to grips with. Neil, anyway, just before we finish, yeah, do you feel like we're on a precipice? Yeah, because I can't. I don't know how much worse it can possibly get. Everyone's already addicted. Everyone spends hours on it each day. Surely. It can't get worse, but I know with my social media use, it's gotten better, but hearing that with you, it's gotten worse. I mean, I, I don't know what it's like with my other friends. I haven't really asked them. I think some people are actually quite all right. I think it's also a sort of personality type that's particularly prone to social media addiction. I don't, I don't think, now I've got friends who are addicted to other vices, <laughs> but they don't. Well, at least when I'm around them, they're not the sort of person that's on their phone all the time. Based on, you know, when they were active last, they don't seem like they're uh, uh, spending copious amounts of time on social media. But yes, I think we are at a precipice. I think hopefully it'll just naturally go down because we'll realize what we're doing to ourselves. But I... I, I I hope it doesn't get worse. I can't see it getting worse, but maybe it will. Okay. What do you think? I just wanted to know. I think it'll get worse, but you're kind mm. of right. I mean, where does it go from here? Yeah. I, suppose I mean, that's I, always again, I hope it does. I think maybe like schools and things and workplaces should start putting in sort of blanket rules and saying... You know, for the productivity of our workers, we just got to just not not in it's not on in the workplace. You just can't mm. have it. But I don't know. Who knows? Anyway, uh, let us know your thoughts in the comments. <laughs> what can we do about social media? That's a very gloomy one. So hopefully, the next one's a bit um, a bit more cheerful. Thanks for thanks for listening, guys. Uh, one more uh, mention of our official sponsor, Crush Organics. 
with a K. Uh, use the code Neil for forty percent off. Great range of CBD oil products. SolarGPS.com. Uh, get a wonderful portable GPS to uh, keep track of your vehicle. Thanks for listening, guys. We'll see you next time. Bye, guys.